You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. If you're able to remain standing, would you join me in turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39? As we have been making our way through the book of Genesis, we have been reading whole chapters. So we come across another very full chapter this morning. And if you need to sit down at any time during this reading, please feel free. We're in Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was a was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph day, or as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the other men were in the house, She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Verse 13, as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought this among us, a Hebrew, to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid his garment, laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, 
this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. If, if last week's lesson regarding what happens to someone who separates their private life from their public life. If last week was a lesson on what happens when you separate your private life from your public life, then this week's lesson is on true integrity. How not to separate your private life from your public life. This is a portion of scripture on integrity and how to get it. We are continuing in our study, the book of Genesis this morning, and we come to, as we've read chapter 39 in this great history of redemption. Again, last week we looked at the troubling yet hopeful story of Judah and Tamar in chapter 38. And at first glance, it's just a story that seems utterly detached from the greater Joseph story that we were introduced to in chapter 37. But at closer glance, we see the continuity in the story and we see some of the principles that will remain in this text and will follow us for the rest of our time in Genesis, just 11 chapters from here. And we're done with this series. We've only been in it for about four thousand years. COVID, right? COVID did it, set us off. But 11 more chapters. And what we discovered last week is some more of what we'll discover this week and what we'll discover in the chapters that, that come. Nevertheless, as we transition from chapter 38 now to chapter 39, the camera angle turns squarely towards Joseph again, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And verse 1 of chapter 39 provides a helpful summary of what has taken place since Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. So we just read it, but let's read it one more time. Verse 1 of chapter 39 is Moses' summary of what has taken place in Joseph's life. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So Joseph, the son of the patriarch Jacob, is betrayed by his brothers who faked his death and in turn sold him to Ishmaelite traders on their way to Egypt. It's this Joseph, this Joseph, the patriarch Joseph, who finds himself 
in a new land hundreds of miles away from Canaan. And now he's property. From the son of a patriarch in Canaan to the slave of a captain in Egypt, Joseph, Joseph is now property to an officer of Pharaoh, a man named Potiphar, a wealthy man. Joseph is probably 17 or 18 years old. And we can only imagine the kinds of fears and emotions that have flooded this teenager's heart and mind as he wakes up in Egypt. In a culture not his own. Among a people not his own. Speaking a language that is not his own. He's just been again betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave. And now he's in a radically different culture and experience. And he's property. He's property. That's a lot to process for anyone, especially a teenager. But in all of these changes of circumstance and changes in culture and changes in setting, we come to find that one thing has not changed. And that is the fact that God is with Joseph. He's with him. Which, as we'll discover, is the key to Joseph's faithfulness and the key to Joseph's success. So, what is the key to Joseph's faithfulness and what is the key to Joseph's success? The fact that God is with him. And it's to his success now that draws our first point out, our first scene, the success of Joseph. Look at verse 2. And three again, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master, verse three, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. You'll notice that Lord there is in all caps. We know this from previous chapters in Genesis that when Lord is in all caps and it happens eight times in just this chapter, that this is the special covenant name of God given to his special covenant people, namely Israel. And this covenant name, Yahweh, whenever it is written down in the scriptures exists to remind God's people that God is not only with his people, But when Lord is in all caps, Yahweh is written down. It's not to remind them that God is with them only, but he's with them in a special way. There is a sense, in other words, in which God is with everyone. Right? God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. But there is another sense in which God is with his people in a special way, in a particular way. And so Moses writes down the official or the special name of God, Yahweh, to communicate to the readers that God is with Joseph in a special relational way. He is with him as father. So although Joseph arrives in a strange land, he is fundamentally not alone. Though his brothers have forsaken him, And sold him off as dead. 
Yahweh, his heavenly father, has not moved from him one inch. Furthermore, as we keep reading, we we learn in, in these first couple of verses that the withness of God, the withness of God is the catalyst for great success in Potiphar's home as a slave. And we come to find that his success came by way of integrity. What we learn from this text is not that we find that Joseph was a an organized man or a mathematician or he's just particularly acute about his administration skills. We don't learn that. Maybe he has those gifts. But what we learn about his success is it came from his integrity. He was an integritous man. You, you saw what you got with him. There wasn't a bifurcation between his private life and his public life. He was trustworthy. And that was the catalyst for his success. Because God was with Joseph, Joseph displayed great personal integrity. And Potiphar, an unregenerate man, saw the personal integrity and entrusted him with his entire estate, which is unprecedented for a slave to be entrusted with an entire estate let alone a foreign slave, let alone a teenage boy. What remarkable integrity. Verse 5 underscores this point. Look at verse 5. From the time that he had made him overseer, that is Potiphar made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Again, this is remarkable that he is entrusted with this entire estate, a slave, a foreign slave, a teenage boy, which goes to show, listen, it goes to show that integrity or trustworthiness is a universal virtue. And when displayed is almost always admired, even among those who have no clue why they admire it. Potiphar admired Joseph's integrity. And his trust of Joseph was proof of his admiration. So he succeeded. God granted him integrity. God was with him. And as a result, Joseph succeeded in Potiphar's home. But that trust, as we have read, is about to be radically tested. So the second half of verse 6 begins our second scene in the chapter. Joseph is tested. His presenting integrity is tested. What's in the core of him? Look at the second half of verse six. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now remember, Joseph is Rachel's boy. 
And we learned from previous chapters that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Joseph is Rachel's boy and apparently took after mom. He's handsome, the text says, in form and appearance. He's attractive generally. And after some time of watching Joseph from the distance, watching Joseph steward the household manage and succeed in managing all of Potiphar's estate, Potiphar's wife couldn't take it anymore. She burned with passion. And she cuts right to the chase. Lie with me. No cup of coffee. No, none of that. Lie with me. No one's around. No one will know. Potiphar works so hard out there. It's just you and me. And she offers herself to him. But then Joseph responds. And men and women, those of you who are struggling with particularly sexual sin or temptations in these ways, what Joseph says next is nothing short of remarkable and is a blueprint for us all who struggle against sexual sin or sensuality. What do you do when you're presented with this kind of temptation? Hear Joseph. But he refused. He rejected Potiphar's wife. And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. Now stop there for just a moment. Joseph is saying he has not kept anything back from me except for you because you're his wife. In other words, you're off limits. You are not an option for me. It's not okay for me to move towards something that is off limits to me. And then he says this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? God. You expect him to say Potiphar almost. He's entrusted me with the whole household. He's entrusted me with everything. I have such great integrity in his eyes. How can I do this great wickedness against Potiphar? But he doesn't. He pivots vertically and he says, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her day after day. The text doesn't say how long was it a month? Was it six months? Was it a year of daily temptation? 
daily asking. And the text says Joseph refused every day. Every day he refused. And the question is, how is that possible? Right? How is that possible? Or is it? Is this just metaphor? Is it just, you know, some principles to work? Or did this really happen? Well, it did really happen. This is history and it is possible. So the question is, how is it possible to deny sensuality every single day? Please listen. Joseph's power to resist the onslaught of temptation did not come merely in the moment of temptation. His power to resist the temptation did not come by gathering himself in the moment merely. But instead, Joseph's heart was prepared already to fight against sin and temptation before it hit. Before it flooded him with emotion and temptation and desire. Unlike his brother Judah, Joseph did not separate his public life from his private life. His integrity ran all the way through him. His integrity ran so deep he was prepared to fight against temptation before temptation hit. And this is a massive principle in pursuing holiness. Don't think for a moment you're going to be ready In the moment of temptation, when all of the chemistry and emotions and desire comes rushing in, instead we need to be prepared before it happens so that we have the presence of mind and the resources to pull from when we are being attacked. And this is an attack. We are almost never prepared in the moment to deal with the floods of sinful desire when temptation hits. Therefore, again, our hearts need to be prepared before the flash floods of sinful desire come rushing in. I've shared this with you before. I grew up in the, in the desert. We had a thing called flash flood warnings. It starts raining. The, the soil is so dry and so hard that when it would rain hard, there would be flash floods. You, you, you can't prepare for a flash flood. That's why it's called a flash flood. It takes you out if you're in the wash. And I had a wash right by my house. And we'd go down to the wash and we'd do dirt clawed fights. That's what you did in the desert back in the 80s and 90s. So we'd just throw dirt clods at each other's faces and we'd be down there. And of course, we didn't have, you know, digital warnings, right? Flash flood warnings coming. But as soon as it would start raining, we'd get out of the wash because we were not prepared to deal with the speed of destruction. Sometimes temptation creeps slowly and sometimes it's like a flash flood and we need to be prepared before That means we need to say now, brothers and sisters, we need to say now that another man's wife or another husband's, another man's wife or another wife's husband's is off limits to us, off limits, not an option, not an option. 
It means that we need to say now, right now, that it is a lie from the pit of hell to suggest that no one will get hurt if I just click this pornographic site. That is a lie. People will get hurt. You will get hurt. The people on the other end of that pornographic site will get hurt. This is a justice issue. It is not an option to touch it. It's not an option. It's off limits. We need to prepare that now. Now we need to think that. And not wait for the moments of temptation. Now we say this. There was a gentleman that was visiting our church and I was talking about something different. I was talking about investing money and for the, for the church building and when should we start saving? And this was a while back. And he said, when's the best time to plant a tree? And I was like, say what? He said, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. I was like, okay. He's like, when's the second best time to plant a tree today? (laughs) That's the second best time. So when's the best time to prepare for throughout your body, throughout internal and external, when is the best time to prepare for integrity? 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Now. Now we prepare. Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when temptation will come. We must declare now that I do not get to do with my body whatever I want. That there are certain things that are off limits. Joseph had an excuse, didn't he? He had so many excuses to act out. Listen to one commentator. Joseph knew the dysfunction of his father's favoritism. He knew the scorn of his brother's hatred. At this point, he knows the betrayal of being sold for profit by those responsible for him. He knows the disdain of a slave's life as chattel and the dissolution of transplantation to foreign soil and culture. The commentator goes on with all of this as his bio. Joseph had every reason to be angry, every reason to be bitter, resentful, cynical, fearful, self-serving, and self-pitying. Joseph had every human reason to find fleeting solace in an illicit embrace, but he doesn't. Why? Because he has superhuman strength? No. Because he was ready to resist Potiphar's wife because he was already convinced that she was off limits. He was ready. He was ready, which means, and if you go even deeper, he was, he was embracing his own weakness. He knew he needed God for integrity. He knew he needed God to keep him. And so he was pulling from what he already knew to be true. Through weakness, he became strong in that moment. It's not because he's got superhuman strength. He was prepared. Joseph didn't want to betray the trust he had been given. And most importantly, Joseph knew that even if Potiphar was not home and maybe would never find out, this is not a traceable thing. Joseph knew the Lord was with him 
and that this would be a sin against God. Brothers and sisters, one central principle in fighting for holiness is the fact that we live before the face of God. That when we're alone on a Wednesday afternoon and everybody thinks we're at work, but we're in our car with our phone. You're living before the face of God. Never are God's people alone. And this, this has a miraculous, beautiful way of taking the private life and the public life and bringing them together. Oh, and it feels so messy when it happens. You don't want it to happen. But as we said last week, this is the catalyst for absolute freedom. It is exhausting to be a fraud. It is exhausting to pretend. And God is right now inviting you right now to bring those two together, confessing your sins, repenting because you live before his face and he loves you. Well, you and I know what happens next. Potiphar's wife, in a lustful rage, she finally reaches out, grabs Joseph by the garment, and rips it off of him. Joseph flees, not only from the room, but from the entire house. (laughs) Another principle for fleeing sensuality or sexual sin. Don't just flee the room. Get out of the house and the state, if possible. The country might even be worth it. Leave. It's, this, it's that hyperbole, yes, that Jesus uses, but not mere hyperbole when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to cut it off, it's better to enter heaven with one eye or heaven with only one hand than to go into hell with both eyes fully intact. It's better. This is how we live integritous lives. Potiphar's wife is left rejected and no doubt embarrassed, right? She's embarrassed. She's been rejected day after day. And even when she makes contact with him, he doesn't leave the room. He leaves the home. And so she decides to turn her embarrassment into retaliation. And she frames Joseph for attempted rape. She frames him. Look at verse 16. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant. (laughs) Notice the xenophobia. The fear of the foreigner. Lots to say on that, but I'm going to let that go. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us. Now notice the blame. The scary foreigner that you let in our home, our home, you let him in. This scary foreigner that you let come in, came into me to laugh at me, to mock me. But as soon, verse 18, as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, thankfully I cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Oh, how quickly one can move from the sin of sensuality to repulsive retaliation. 
How quickly? Which leads now to our final scene this morning. Joseph is in prison. Look at verse 19 and following. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And if it was true, rightfully so. Verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now, we don't know why he wasn't stoned in the moment. We don't, we don't know. Maybe Potiphar was a little hesitant about his wife's story. Maybe she's got a history of this. But he doesn't kill him, and he certainly could have. Instead, he puts him in prison, the king's prisoners, where they were confined, and he was there left in prison, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Oh, beloved saints, hear that for yourself this morning. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. How do you bloom where you're planted? (laughs) And the keeper, verse 22, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I don't know how many times I've read this and I've just thought, well, Joseph's an exceptional leader. Everywhere he goes, he just leads. He's just gifted that way. But that's not the reason for his leadership or success. He's not just a gifted individual. He didn't just listen well in class and people just want to follow him. The Lord was with him. The Lord granted success, which means for all of us who don't have those raw giftings, this becomes possible for us. The Lord is with them. The descent of Joseph is striking, right? from being the apple of Jacob's eye, wearing that special coat of many colors on top of the world, having dreams about people bowing to him. (laughs) Next scene, he's in a pit. Next scene, he's a slave. Next scene, he's in prison. What a descent. Joseph finds himself in yet another strange new place. Yet, verse 21 again, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Literally, the Lord showed Joseph loyalty. He showed Joseph loyalty. And this is the key to everything, isn't it? The loyalty of God to Joseph was behind Joseph's success, both as a slave and now as a prisoner. 
The loyalty of God was what fortified Joseph's personal integrity and trustworthiness. Where do you learn integrity from? Joseph would answer, God. The loyalty of God was what fortified his integrity. And the loyalty of God was what was central in Joseph's fight against the onslaught of temptation. Do you see? When we become convinced, beloved, of God's sovereignty and his faithfulness to us, regardless of what surrounds us, this becomes the bedrock of our faithfulness to God. God was with Joseph in the pit. He was with him as a slave and God is still loyal to Joseph in prison. This reminds us of Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Well, of course you're in heaven. That's where God is, right? David goes on. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Oh, the witness of God. Don't sit here like I did for years and years and years and think that Joseph is just special and we can't be integritous. It's, there's no way. We're only Judah all the time, always. As Christians, on this side of the cross and resurrection, listen, as we close, we have all the more reasons, don't we, to trust that God will be loyal to us. Don't we? On this side of the cross and resurrection, don't we have more reason to believe that God will be loyal to us? And therefore, all the more reason to flee from the pole of earthly pleasure. At the announcement of Christ's birth in Matthew chapter 1, the angel said to a different Joseph, she, Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God what? With us. God with us. And to prove his loyalty to his covenant promises, Jesus too was utterly betrayed by all who confessed their love for him. Jesus too was sold for 30 pieces of silver. He too was thrown into Roman custody, though he did nothing to deserve it. But unlike Joseph, Jesus does not escape the grip of hard providence and rise to earthly power as Joseph did in Egypt. No, Jesus is crucified on a Roman cross and buried in a borrowed tomb, dead. 
And unlike Joseph, who rose in earthly power, Christ would raise in a whole new way. He would rise to new life, thus securing eternal redemption for all of those who trust in him. The point of this sermon is not, be like Joseph, who's integritous, let's pray. The point of this sermon is, how do you get it? How do you become that? How do you finally have courage to unite the private and the public life? How do you confess your weakness? How do you move towards God in this way? And the key that unlocks all of those doors is not hidden to us and only found by the Josephs. It hides in plain sight. And it's through weakness. David Pallison, the quote we use every time, almost I preach, that weakness is that strange door into the strength of God. Because it's through weakness that you admit to yourself that you have not been honest with yourself and that you need help and rescue. And then you discover God is with you. He's been with you. And he's shown you steadfast love. He's been loyal to you. And that becomes the bedrock of our faithfulness and integrity as we trip and stumble all the way to glory. So may we believe that the Lord is indeed with us in a special way as his covenant people. That he will be with us in our exaltations in life and he will be with us in our humiliations. God is with us in the pit and he is with us in our successes. And may his covenant keeping faithfulness compel ours.